our message this morning, there are notes in your bulletin, and we're, we will be having Bible studies on Tuesday and on Thursday as a follow-through to what I'll be speaking this morning. We have been talking about the Holy Spirit and what Jesus said concerning him. He spoke so much about the, what the Holy Spirit would do in the church, and he also spoke a great deal of what he would do in the world. In fact, he said this, and this is slide number three that you have there. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. We talked about that last week, and we ministered on this whole passage. He will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world is now condemned. And that's John chapter 16, verse 7 to 10. In this message this morning, we're going to see how the Holy Spirit actually did those three things about convincing the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, how he did that on the day of Pentecost through Peter's sermon that he preached that day, which resulted in 3,000 people accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord and be baptized. So the Holy Spirit is very much alive in the world today, doing the work that Jesus said he would do. But he's also very much in the church He's present in the hearts and lives of believers. So wherever we go, the Holy Spirit is not just with us, as Jesus said, but he would also, Jesus said he would also be in us. And as a result of the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is in us. He is within you. And when we come together, there's a, there's a, a collectiveness, there's a, a, an accord. In fact, in uh, the next slide, which is uh, Acts chapter 2, 1 to 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And that indicates that the all together indicates a coming together with great earnestness, with great desire, with a strong need to be with each other. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. There, there's a preparation of heart for the work of God to be done in our lives in the church that involves in a very strong way our desire to be with each other. And so the more that we come together and are with each other, the more this whole sense of community, of unity, of what it really truly means to be the church takes place. And so it says they were all in one accord. And it was on the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was a Jewish feast it came the first day after pass, uh, seven weeks from Passover, and the ne very next day was the beginning of, of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. So Passover happened. Jesus died on Passover, symbolizing a new covenant that Jesus himself was now the Passover. And there's many scriptures to, to demonstrate that, which I won't uh, try to get into here. But then 50 days later, so seven weeks had passed, and then the next day, or the 50th day, Pente, 50, that's why it's called Pentecost, uh, 
that period of time is also known as the Feast of Weeks. So the Feast of Seven Weeks transpiring since Passover, and then the very next day begins the Feast after the Weeks. It was a time of thanksgiving. It was a time where people would bring the first fruits of the barley harvest, and they would wave them before the Lord, sometimes called the wave offering. And in gratitude, they would thank God for the bountiful measure with which he had blessed them with this harvest. And so they were, they were just celebrating. And, and the fact the Holy Spirit came on the Feast of Pentecost symbolizes a whole new type of harvest. It's the harvest of people. The harvest of, from a world. It's lost. And so there's so much symbolism here, and uh, uh, it's just a very powerful concept, especially for the Jewish mind. Well, he came. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, slide 4. When the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. This sound of a violent wind. We've seen several violent winds lately in, on our television sets and radio where we're, we're hearing about these terrible, terrible hurricanes and the tornadoes that are striking uh, in the aftermath of the hurricanes and another very serious storm that just hit the, the Gulf states again uh, today, last night and today. And we always, when we see the storm, we hear the noise of the wind and we see with our eyes the effect with the trees falling over and power being, uh, you know, knocked out and the devastation of buildings being torn apart and people losing their lives. And, and, and we just we're familiar with that. But imagine standing somewhere where you hear the sound of a hurricane or a tornado, but there's no wind blowing. You're hearing this very loud noise, and, and it's a scary noise. It's a violent wind, which means it, it would be a destructive force, but it's just a sound. It's not wind. Now, if it were happening today, we'd say, well, somebody's probably got some elaborate sound system somewhere, and it's coming through a sound system, but they didn't have that back then. And so they were listening and puzzled about what they heard. So they went towards the sound. And when they got there, it says that uh, they saw what seemed to be tongues uh, of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here is this big ball of fire. It, it appeared, we don't know if it came down from heaven or if it suddenly just appeared. This huge, great, big ball of fire. And then the fire separated into what appeared to be like tongues, divided tongues, and it sat upon each of them. Now, imagine what that would have been like. To, to come to a place where you had heard this amazing terrible sound and then when you get there you see this fire and then and then you see these ha, 120 people and they're they're these this fire separates and sits on each of them um 
Amazing. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and started to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And that was even more confusing to them. Well, um, slide number five. There were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, God-fearing, in in other words, they had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. There were three feasts that the Old Testament uh, required all men in Israel to attend. The first was uh, Passover, the second was Pentecost, and the third was Tabernacles. And so people, the Jews had been scattered all around the Roman Empire into a number of countries. They had moved away because of things like famine and had been there for several generations. So a lot of these people, these Jews that were in Jerusalem at this time, had come for Passover. And rather than going way back to their countries, they would stay in Jerusalem until 50 days had passed in order to be there to meet the requirement of the law that they be there for Pentecost as well. And so they were devout Jews. They were people who wanted to obey God and to, to follow the law, the Torah. And when they heard, this, heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Now the, well, let's just continue reading. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And then he lists 16 different languages. Now, the reason they knew they were Galileans, because the Galilean Jews came from the northern province of Galilee, and they were kind of seen as sort of the lower class in the, the Jewish in the whole Jewish nation of people. They were kind of, uh, they spoke with, a, with a, an accent, kind of a slang. They were sort of uh, considered to be country bumpkins, if you will. They, they were fine folk, but just not really well educated and kind of, well, they were identifiable as Galileans because of their accent. And so these folks are hearing them speak in other languages with a Galilean accent. And so they're saying, aren't all these Galileans? And obviously they would never have learned <laughs> the, uh, the languages from, where, from the countries we come from. Now, it's important to know that, that everybody at this time spoke Greek, but not, not all Jews spoke Hebrew. And so there's a difference between the Hebrew-speaking Jews and the Greek-speaking Jews. So people from all the different regions and countries around, they would speak Greek, and they would also speak the language native to the country in which they were living. And they had been there for several generations, so they had lost their ability to speak in Hebrew. And so these Jews, these Greek-speaking Jews, hear these Greek-speaking Gentiles talking in their languages, praising God, and everyone would say, well, first of all, it would have just been a big noise. You would come and, and it would just be like, like imagine now 120 folks uh, just shouting out and, and praising God. It's just, just at the top of their lungs, they're just praising the Lord. And, and you come and it just, and if everybody was speaking in a different language, it would just sound like one big hodgepodge of a noise. But then as they came, they would Somebody said, I sort of hear my language spoken by somebody else. And 
Another would say, yeah, I'm from, I'm an Arab, and I'm hearing my voice, my language spoken. And, and so they, they heard all of these. That we hear them declaring the wonder. Uh, this is verse uh, uh, slide six. Uh, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they asked, what does this mean? Now, when the Holy Spirit comes, one of the questions that you that the Holy Spirit generates in the hearts of the people that are observing, they're watching, they're listening, when you come to witness to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, what what the Holy Spirit will do is he'll use your testimony, he'll use the scriptures you use, he'll use the love that you show, and, and eventually the question will be asked in the heart of the person, well, what does this mean? What's it mean for this person to be a Christian? Why are they so different? And there's something that attracts another person to you as a believer. And, and we need to recognize the power of the Holy Spirit to do that very thing. When it comes to witnessing, when it comes to sharing our testimony with the world, sometimes people are afraid, Christians are afraid. Well, they'll think I'm nuts, they'll think I'm crazy. Well, that's true, they will. Maybe some of them says, it says some, however, made fun of them and said, they've drunk too much wine, and uh, they're just drunk, they're crazy, they're, this is nuts. And so here was all of the, the sound of the wind and the tongues of fire and, and all of that, and people said, it's just crazy. And so you're going to get that in the world, right? When it comes to following Jesus, you're not going to have everybody really receptive. And so you had these two classes of people. Uh, what does this mean? And they asked. And then the next class that said, um, you're just crazy. This is nuts. So, slide seven. Peter gets up in the presence of everybody and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. So he's answering the question, what does this mean? Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. So he says, folks, listen, people aren't drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. They're going to be drunk. If they're going to be drunk, it's going to be at nighttime. So these folks are not drunk, as some of you suppose. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he takes them to the Old Testament. You see, these were Jews who had come to Jerusalem in obedience to the law, in obedience to what the law had said. And so they respected the law of Moses and the prophets. And so... Peter takes them back to what they already know and what they already believe. And he said, in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I'm kind of vacillating between visions and dreams. I'm not really sure where I am at my, this stage of my life. So here's, so here's what, what's happening is that people are going to hear from God in the last days. And the reason they're hearing from God is because the Holy Spirit has been poured out as Joel said he would be. So right away, 
this is what, what Joel spoke about. And so all the noise, the tongues, the fire, the, the, the languages that were spoken, all of the, this, this is what Joel spoke about. And it's happening before your eyes. And the next slide. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above. Now he, he moves into something that is about judgment. So he's saying in the last days this will happen. The Holy Spirit will come and fill people, uh, all people. And uh, that call on him. And, and then he, in Joel's prophecy, he talks about, because Joel's book is about judgment. And, and he says, um, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And so as Peter is reminding them of what, Joel had said, he's talking, he's reminding them of a period of judgment, that after God pours out his spirit on all flesh, you would see judgment in the world. And we're living in a time when God in so many ways judges the world. A lot of what is happening in nature around us, I have no doubt, is God speaking to peoples of the earth. That there's something wrong. And nature itself demonstrates that something is wrong. Judgment, the judgments of God are always designed to draw people to God. Never away from him. The judgments of God have a purpose. And so when we see the things that are happening around us, we see the judgment of God and, uh, in the earth. And the purpose of, is to draw people to him. And then he says, all this will happen before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So there's a day that is coming in the future that happens after the last days. I will pour out my, my spirit. Uh, I will, uh, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit. And then he talks about the great and notable and great and glorious day of the Lord, which is the coming of Jesus. The second time. And in the meantime, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's interesting that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, in Peter's mind, he didn't think that meant Gentiles. He just thought that meant any Jew. So he was prophesying something that he really didn't understand. In fact, it takes until Acts chapter 10, when Peter gets this vision, that he starts to realize that what he prophesied on the day of Pentecost was inclusive of everyone, including Gentiles. And so it was a, a tremendous paradigm shift for him. So what's happening in the world today? The Holy Spirit is here to convince the world, to people who do not believe in Jesus, just as these Jews, though they were devout and they feared God, they did not believe in Jesus. They were there on the day of Pentecost, and, and, and God, through these miraculous signs, draws them to this place where the disciples of Jesus are, and Peter gets up and he preaches this amazing sermon. Well, there's four things 
in the sermon that Peter preaches that prove and proved to the people listening that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And these four things are something that every believer should know. One of the things that we're doing right now in this series, I Will Build My Church, is, is reviewing what the Bible says about what the church is. And so if you're wondering where these, all these Bible lessons are going and why I talk about our constitution and bylaws and things that will be in the future that we put in place in things like our statement of faith, well, it all is based upon these patterns that we see in the book of Acts in the early church that we want to, be, to make sure are entrenched in our own understanding when it comes to this church in the day in which we're living. These four things are key to evangelism, whether you're talking to Jews or whether you're talking to people who aren't Jews, whether you're talk, talking about people who have some awareness of God or they have no belief in God whatsoever. And the first thing that, that uh, 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 he says is that the miracles of Jesus validate that Jesus is Lord in Christ. And this is slide nine. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Everyone that had, was gathered there knew about Jesus, knew about his miracles. They, they kind of figured that, well, he, the Romans put him to death the Jewish leaders uh, accused him and caused him to be put to death. And so all that he said, even the miracles themselves, they, they mustn't have been real because he's dead. He's no Messiah. But he starts off with saying the miracles prove that Jesus is both Lord and he is Christ, or in other words, Messiah, the one promised by God. The second thing he says, by the way, remember Nicodemus? coming to Jesus, and he says, uh, he says to Jesus, no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus, so there was a recognition all the time while Jesus was on earth that the miracles that he did proved something. In Nicodemus's estimation, God was with him. He didn't really quite understand that Jesus was actually God in the flesh in front of him. Now, the second thing that validates that Jesus was Lord, both Lord and Christ, was his death. Uh, this is slide 10. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So here is a statement that the people that nailed Jesus to the cross were wicked, and these Jews had helped them. So they were in the camp of the wicked. Now, the Jews had said that Jesus was wicked, that he was a, a supplanter, a subversive man who, who, who tried to destroy the, the traditions of Israel, and, and he's, he, he tried to uh, undermine the authority of the Romans. And now Peter is saying, well, the miracles attest that he came from God, and his death was not because he was guilty of anything. He was righteous. Remember, the Holy Spirit will convince the world 
of righteousness, and that righteousness referring to Jesus as being innocent and righteous. And so they're listening to this. And then more than that, not only does he put these Jewish people in the camp of the wicked, but he says this man was handed over to you by God, by God's deliberate plan. So God used your wickedness to fulfill a plan that he had enacted in his mind before the world was even created. So they're standing there listening. Me? Wicked? And you see, the Holy Spirit comes to the world to convince us that we're sinners, that we've done things that are unrighteous, that unrighteousness has distanced us from God. That Jesus, who died in our place, was innocent of all sin, but he took my sin. And as Peter is building these thoughts in the minds of the Jewish people, uh, an awakening was taking place. And then, and the third thing he says that validates that Jesus is both Lord and Christ is his resurrection. Slide 11. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, and now he quotes Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. And the people always thought that this referred to David. He said, I saw the Lord always before me. This is David speaking in the Psalms. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realms of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And they're saying, you're applying that to Jesus? That's about David. They, they, in their minds, as they, they're hearing this. They say, that David spoke concerning Jesus? Well, he wasn't speaking concerning Jesus. It was, it was David who spoke these words. He was talking about himself, wasn't he? And he goes on to say, this is the 12th slide. Fellow Israelites, I could tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing that, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus. And we are all witnesses of it. Well, yeah, David's tomb is here. It, it contains his decayed body because David's tomb was actually in Jerusalem, not too far from the place where they were actually gathered on the day of Pentecost. And so if David actually died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day, how could this passage of scripture about not, his body not seeing decay and, and, and not being 
destined to the realm of the dead? How could that possibly apply to David? But it did apply to his descendant. And that descendant is Jesus. Wow. Um, It all made perfect sense. Uh, Peter's use of the scriptures. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful. More powerful than a two-edged sword and it pierces right down into the very deep, the depths of human thinking, the very soul and the spirit of a person. And this crowd of people who had gathered wondering what all the noise was about and all the, all the tongues and all, are now hearing something about Jesus that they couldn't have imagined they would hear. And it's making sense to them. Yes, what Joel said, yeah, this sounds like it. And, and yes, David's prophecy about not seeing death didn't apply to David. It, it, it seems as if it applied to Jesus. And then the fourth thing he says is that his ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit validates that Jesus is Lord and Christ. Slide 13. Exalted to the right um, hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So, David didn't ascend to heaven, he says, but Jesus did. And he said that when he went to heaven, he would pour out his spirit, and that's what you've just witnessed. David isn't ascended to heaven, but that's where Jesus is. People say, all right, if he's alive, where is he? All these Christians going around, or they weren't called Christians then, talking about having seen Jesus. Uh, Where is he? Show us the proof. And Peter says, well, he's not here. He's risen, and he's ascended. And this is the scripture that proves it. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord. Notice that the Father speaks to the Son as Lord to Lord. They are equal in personhood. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. So, yes, Jesus accomplished through his death, defeat over Satan, over sin. He, he did all of those things, but there is still an active work on, of the enemy in the world today. Between the time of the last days that when they began with the outpouring of the Spirit and that day when Jesus will return, Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. He seeks to destroy whoever he can. But there will come a day when the enemies of Christ will be like a footstool under your feet. And this final message that Peter speaks to the crowd that day causes them to respond in verses 36 to 41 which is slide 14 therefore let all of Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus whom you crucified 
Wow, now he's really getting direct. He's made him both Lord and Messiah, or Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, and this is the most important, the, the important question of the two that were asked. The first question was, what does this all mean? And now they had an understanding of what it all meant. And now they asked this question. They were cut to the heart, which actually in the, the Greek language is like a, a knife going into your heart. They were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? <laughs> Notice that they were referring to them as brothers, not crazy people. Something had changed in their understanding. And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the gift for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then in slide 15, with many other words, he warned them. Do we need that today? Do we? Can we just fool around with sin? Is judgment not a real thing? Is the world held in a balance, and that balance is whether people have received the gift of Christ and the forgiveness of the gift of forgiveness that comes through that, and the Holy Spirit? Does it does it matter? Yes, it does. He warned them, and he pleaded with them. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. I thought only God could save me. How do you how do you save yourself? You save yourself by the choices you make. You save yourself by the choice to renounce sin and wickedness and to turn to Christ and to believe Him and to ask for His forgiveness for your sins. This is the message of, gospel, of the gospel. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You see, not everybody accepted it. In spite of all they heard, all the biblical arguments that, that proved that Jesus was both Lord and Christ, all what they had seen with this, phenomenal, this phenomenon uh, uh, of the day of Pentecost, some believed and some didn't. But 3,000 did. It's amazing. The Romans hated the church. They hated with a passion the people that were of the way, they said. And they crucified them by the thousands. They put them to lions, to the lions and lions uh, uh, in the Colosseum. <clears throat> they, they caused some to be impaled. They... They were killing Christians after Christians after Christians. And yet by the time, 300 years later, there are more Christians in the Roman Empire than there are non-Christians. The church grew in spite of all of the opposition. On the day of Pentecost, it was like a group about the size of this, maybe a little more, 120, were followers of Jesus. And then after one message, one sermon, 
3,000 are baptized, so the ratio to new converts, of new converts to believers, is 25 to 1. And so it's like suddenly 3,000 people are saved and show up in church next Sunday. We'd have to have a few services to fit them all in. And we would also have to have all of you do the baptizing, do all of the things that go to discipling. That's what they did back there. The, these 120 people, not all of whom were apostles or, or one of the fivefold ministries, as we say, they all participated in this baptism, these baptisms. Otherwise, how could they have ever done it? God uses every person. He calls every one of us to serve him. Not at, with some with higher positions than others, but all of us together in the body of Christ functioning as one. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And the decision we all must make is whether we believe that, whether we will honor and serve him. Uh, worship team, would you come? And, and do you see through this whole message that, Paul, or that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, the very things that Jesus said that we talked about last week in the message that the Holy Spirit would do in the world, how he would convince or convict of sin, of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because people don't believe in Jesus, of righteousness because he ascended to the Father, he was innocent, and of judgment, the prince of this world, the devil is judged. All of those three elements are in this message that Peter preached, and, and I don't know if Peter was really thinking of it that way, or he just it was just the anointing of the Spirit that led him, I'm not sure. Maybe he mulled those things over in his mind, the things that Jesus said, said time after time after time he thought of them. And then when he was called upon to stand up and to preach this sermon, it was already there in his mind. I'm not sure how it worked. All I know is that he followed to a T the pattern that Jesus said in John chapter 14, that when the Spirit comes to the world, he will convince of sin, righteousness, and judgment.